Hey, it's George from the Meet Me for Coffee podcast. Thank you so much for checking this episode out. Tell your friends, please subscribe at meetmeforcoffee.co. That's our official website. This next interview is featuring Brandon Boyd of the band Incubus. We'll talk about his Christmas traditions, plus his new record due out early 2022. You don't want to miss this. Meet Me for Coffee starts now. Our guest on today's episode of Meet Me for Coffee is the front man of Incubus, and he's here to talk about his new solo record. Brandon, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And look, I have coffee. Awesome. Is it the Incubus Brew Coffee? It isn't yet, no, but uh, as soon as I get my batch, I'll, I'll let you know how it is. What's yours? My Mine is, uh, it's from the Congo, actually. I should be having uh, my new beer that I made with my own personal coffee from the show. Uh, it's called How About Some Coffee. Uh, I just had a big launch event this past weekend. Um, nice. The coffee's stale, but it's a bit too early. And, you know, when you have to deal with a family after, it's it kind of sure. messy. Um, right. <laughs> but but this one's from the Congo. This this brew's from the Congo. I love Nespresso, and this is how I do it. Sometimes I just grab different blends of stuff, and they have some surprise uh, pods. Mm. So it's pretty good. Right on. So how do you take your coffee? Is it black? Is it sugar? I do. Uh, uh, I grind the beans. And then I do a cloth filter pour over with just a touch of maple syrup. And that's it. Oh, you got the Canadian in me really happy about that. The maple syrup. Is that, is that closer to how you guys do it? Uh, well, I have never tried it that way, but uh, I'm, I'm very passionate about my pancakes and maple syrup. Nice. Yeah. Maple syrup to me is like uh, that and honey. Those are like the nectar of the gods to me. Like I'm, uh, I'm enamored of that they exist, but I love both of them dearly. Really. Well, honey and maple syrup go hand in hand sometimes. So they do. So we're, we're here to talk about your, your new record coming out. Uh, but first I, I want to know about some holiday traditions. We're close to, to Christmas. Any holiday traditions that you have? Yeah. Um, you know, we do the, the kind of simple basic things around, uh, Thanksgiving and get together with my family. I'm very lucky to have my, um, immediate family live all within about 15 or 20 minutes of me, which is pretty amazing because we can all see each other often. And during the early days of the pandemic, when we were in full blown lockdown, I was still able to see most of my family members. Um, we would just get together outside before we, you know, kind of knew exactly what was going on. We still just, we got together and stayed apart from each other, but got to see them, which was fantastic. But yeah, we do like the, traditional meals in that sense. And, um, pumpkins, I grew my first pumpkins and squashes this year. So I got to contribute some of my own to the more kind of like, uh, store found or pumpkin patch found pumpkins. But then as we get into Christmas and stuff, my family has always, um, had, uh, you know, a beautiful tree with lights and decorations that me and my brothers made when we were like four and they're still up like on the tree. So, um, doing my own tree and my parents do their trees as well, but my girlfriend and I are doing a tree this year. And, um, yeah, just kind of the basic things like that. When, if, and when I have kids, I'm looking forward to playing Santa Claus. I also love the, the, the possible history, uh, the origin story of Santa Claus. I'm not sure if this, um, myth has 
drifted up to you guys yet, though you're closer to its origin than we are here in the States. But there is evidence from uh, anthropologists and cultural anthropologists that um, Santa Claus, the 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 bearded elder in the red and white outfit who gives presents to kids. The the origins of it are potentially from Siberian mushroom cults. Have you heard this story? No, but go on. (laughs) I have your ear. Uh, Yeah. There's, there's a kind of the most famous mushroom in the, uh, the the pantheon of different kinds of fungi out there is a mushroom called Amanita muscaria. And it is the classic uh, red cap with the white dots. Everyone kind of knows about it. It's a famously psychedelic mushroom, um, but it native to Northern regions around this time of year. And um, we know through cultural anthropology that there were um, shamans who would seek out these mushrooms and ingest them and then go into like psychedelic trance states. And, uh, give out gifts and then they started to try and emulate the colors of the mushroom. So they would dress as such. And then apparently, and this isn't a proven thing. It's more of a theory, but I find it intriguing that that over the, over the, the, the many, many hundreds of years has sort of uh, been whittled down into like the Santa Claus myth that we have now in the West. So who knows? Okay, so that's about like ten hours of research I'm gonna to have to do after the show into the, the we 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 early morning hours. Um, I'm sure people are really gonna appreciate me talking about this in a few. Very hours. least, it's a good story. <laughs> yes, I really appreciate it. Uh, we we talk about music, uh, but I found out that you wanted to go to art school. How, what a decision to sign a record deal instead of go to art school. You can still do the art. You're a natural artist. Oh. All, all the way around, like you're well-rounded. Um, I've always wanted to ask you this because you, you do make art like on paper or, or, or by paint or watercolors. You write it um, in different forms, whether that be with Incubus um, and whether it's with your solar project. How do you take the idea in your head and make it come out on that pen and, pen and, pen and paper uh, form or just vocally? Hmm. It's an interesting question because um, I don't really have a clear answer as to like why one takes precedent over the other on particular day. Um, I'm more, I I, I kind of follow uh, bursts of inspiration. And what's interesting about painting for me and my experience so far is that when I am painting uh, there seems to be space uh, in a metaphysical sense for other kinds of creativity to rush in because I usually paint um, in a quiet room. Um, sometimes I'll paint and listen to music. Sometimes I'll paint and listen to um, podcasts or intellectual discourses or debates, things like that. They're kind of, you know, it's like soft chatter in the background. Um but more often than not, I paint in silence. And um, when I let my mind go quiet, there's uh, it, it, space is made available for other things to rush in. So much of the time when I'm painting, uh, melodies will sort of arrive. And I find myself humming these sort of disparate melodies. And those melodies quite often turn into songs. And then, uh, but sometimes I'll have the melody will show up 
than the wee hours of the morning as I'm kind of waking up. Sometimes they like drift in in dreams and things. And I've learned how to um, hold on to them long enough that I can carry them into a waking state. And then I'll hum them through as I'm making my coffee and walking amongst my day or driving, which we do a lot of in Los Angeles. And uh, words start to show up. And they tend to kind of, they drift around for a long time in this kind of this ether of sorts, and then they fuse together and they become songs. Um, so there's lots of different ways that it happens, but what takes precedent to, to answer your question, what takes precedent really is um, it, it, it's almost like it, it's not up to me. That's how, it, that's why it's hard to answer it, I'm trying to make myself as available to um, inspiration and muse as I can. So I'm a little bit like a leaf in the wind, you know, it's like, which way is it going to blow today? It's like over here and maybe we'll get a song or over here and maybe I'll paint something or over here and I need to grab my camera and go for a walk. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's always good to get into the mind of a songwriter and an artist, right. To see how they develop their ideas and, and almost uh, transfer that from their mind or from their heart to the pen and paper uh, mm. version or vocally. Um, you have a new record coming out in early 2022. It's called Echoes and Cocoons. Uh, very interesting title. Uh, t- tell us the background behind you choosing that title for your, your next solo record. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I wrote the record with um, a new friend of mine named John Congleton, who's a really accomplished uh, songwriter and producer and um Early in the kind of lockdown phase of the pandemic, um, my girlfriend and I were just, you know, we were alone together at the house and pre-pandemic and also even now in the kind of whatever stage of the pandemic that we're in, we have a kind of daily ritual where we sit together and we drink tea. It's usually um, right as the sun starts to go down. It's a really lovely time to sit down and, you know, assess the day and talk about things we we end up most of the time sharing music with each other which is really fun and rewarding because my girlfriend is um, a little bit younger than me and so she has uh, more new music in her (laughs) her availability than i do i think the older we get the the less energy we have to like continually search for new music so i'm really lucky to uh be in her presence for any number of reasons but not the least of which is that she is a, as a really keen music curator. Um, and so she shows me things. And uh, in this particular instance, we kind of went down the rabbit hole on John Congleton. And I was like, there were a handful of records that he made we were listening to where I almost felt like a sense of envy, for lack of a better way of describing it. I was like, I, shit, I wish I could make a record like this. And there he goes again, like, God, these sounds and this production and these choices, like, I'm writing this dude. I like, I just felt like bold one afternoon and I just, I started following on Instagram and I wrote him a message on Instagram and he wrote me back, which is wonderful because he didn't need to, you know, he's a, he's a busy dude. And um, long story short, maybe too late, but we uh, started to send ideas back and forth. And it's funny because we never even actually met in person until after the record was finished. We did the whole thing remotely and it was I had recorded a couple of the tracks um, at home here. There are two covers on the record, which probably won't come out until 
the whole album comes out. But um, one of them I'd recorded pre-pandemic. It's called End of the World, and it's a cover from a band called Aphrodite's Child. And um, I had just like an unmixed version of it. And I sent it to John when we were kind of finished. And I was like, you want to give this a try? And he listened. He was like, hell yeah, this is awesome. So he mixed it and it sounds amazing. And then I did a cover um, on the piano here at home of an Angel Olsen song called um, Fly Under Wall, which he also mixed. But the rest of it was he and I writing together, like putting our heads together. Um, I'm forgetting what your original question was. I just kind of went on a little bit of a tangent there. No, I, I'm actually... I'm actually listening to you too. So uh, the, the original question was the original, uh, the, the, the title of the new record that goes in. Cocoon, oh, yes. The origin of that title. So uh, there's a track called new dark age on it. And um, echoes and cocoons is one small lyric amongst like a, a string of lyrics that um, the song is kind of making reference to. It, it, it appears to me in some, at least some cultural sense that we have entered into a sort of almost like a, a, uh, a gilded dystopia of sorts. Like we all kind of live in these um, gilded cages as it were, and where our own voice is echoing back at us and, um, you know, confirming all of our most, uh, all of our biases are being reconfirmed back at us. And so it's like, we've, we've all created these cocoons where our own voice is echoing back off of them. And so what emerges from the cocoon is potentially wonderful. You know, the chrysalis gives birth to the butterfly. Um, but I'm, in this like new dark age that we sort of live in, I'm, I'm not completely convinced that we will emerge as gorgeous butterflies. It, it, I hope that we do. I'm hopeful that we will. I'm optimistic about lots of things. In fact, I'm kind of wired optimistically, which allows me to, you know, get up in the morning and face the day. But uh, there are some larger kind of dystopic fears of mine that are being confirmed on a regular basis. And so, so this track is a little bit darker. Um, there are, there are definitely hopeful moments amongst the album, but echoes and cocoon was sort of making reference to that type of idea. What are some of the large dystopic fears that you have confirmed so far? Mm. Well, we, <clears throat> we are, we're great apes, right. For all intents and purposes. And, um, there's a really, there's a, an amazing book called The Social Conquest of Earth by uh, E.O. Wilson. And he talks about some of these things. Um, and one of his famous quotes from the book, and I'm going to paraphrase because um, it's still morning for me here, but um, he talks about us being uh, this great ape with paleolithic emotions, but we have godlike technologies. So, our technologies are uh, exponential and they're um, exponential in their scope, but also in their, in their capacity to um, what they do to the, to the world. And so we are these great apes running around with these godlike technologies. And that's probably not a great combination. It's incredible what these things can do with these, these technologies, whether it's social media or the internet, um, their capacity to, to, uh, 
connect us to each other. But the irony is that we've never been more connected in this way, but we are disconnecting in the most important ways. And so the end result of that isn't, isn't a good thing from a social or a cultural sphere. So I, I have hope that we will be able to transcend this moment that we're in, but this moment we're in is very strange, is very, very strange. And it's really tricky. Yeah, absolutely. I, I see how you think that because we're, we're disconnected. We're connected online, but we're connected or disconnected physically and yeah. almost like emotionally. So when you see somebody in person, it's kind of weird, right? It you know, is weird. Yeah. It's the opposite now. Yeah. Um, but you got a, a the, the new single on your, on your track, uh, in your, on your album, the first that came out pocket knife um, talks about nightmares, right? Uh, facing your nightmares. Um, yeah. the, and then you have a new single coming out uh, next week, I believe. Uh, what's that single called? The new single is called Petricor. Petricor. Um, yeah, it's uh, for your listeners that aren't familiar with the word. It's um, the fancy way of describing um, the first, the smell of a first rain. Um, that beautiful, inimitable olfactory experience of when that first rain hits the ground and the smell that emerges and the way that it, what it does when it interacts with your body on a biochemical level, that's called petrichor. And, um, where I come from in Los Angeles, California, I was born and raised here. Um, it never really rained much to begin with. And especially now, like ironically today is actually kind of raining here, which is the most beautiful thing. And it reminds me, um, how much of a blessing, uh, rain is, here in California when we actually get it. So I, I obviously have a, a pretty high bias towards uh, rain in that capacity because we just don't get it very much here. But when it does rain, it's this beautiful um, symbol to me of, uh, it's like a celebration. It's like a, there's, it's, though a lot of Los Angelinos just basically go crazy and crash their cars when it rains because we don't know how to drive in the rain here. There are some of us, who it's almost like, it's like this, uh, this spiritual event. Like you want to like, yes, you know, put your head towards the sky and you can almost feel the trees and the land around you just going like, yes, yes. And it's almost like you want to applaud at this moment. So essentially the song is about that. It's about that in a literal sense, but there's also a deeper metaphor um, underlying that I'll let the listeners kind of parse out when they hear the song. I've always liked that about Incubus and your work that it's always deeper than like the name. Sometimes the name of the song is something very abstract, right? It's something that you have to look into something. And this song is about something. It's got different melodies. I, I listened uh, to your, your record uh, prior to this uh, sons of the sea. And um, I found it really relaxing, very ambient that the beginning, the beginning track was super cool. Um, you know, and it was super cool. And, and uh, just hearing how it kind of the speaker switched, you know, like there's that, that, that right and the left kicks in. Right. Um, it's how do you how do you do you have that in your mind to start it off that way? Or is that something that a producer would put that put together for you? It's a little bit of both um, <clears throat> in this in the case of Sons of the Sea, I um, wrote and recorded the record with an old friend of mine named Brendan O'Brien, who's 
a really amazing musician and producer. He's a multi Grammy winning producer and he's produced um, two or three Incubus records and uh, no, two Incubus records. And then he and I did that record together and um, it was just he and I putting our heads together. So we had, uh, I had musical ideas he had musical ideas. It was just, we just basically geeked out together in the studio for like six months. And the stuff that you're talking about, like, um, is mixing and production. Those are things that once the song, the basics of the song are put together, um, you kind of are sitting there listening to it. And as it's unfolding, you're imagining like, Ooh, like what if we did a hard pan to the right with this string section and, uh, this part is full surround. It's really fun getting into a studio, especially with someone like Brendan, who's so sort of his knowledge of music production is so vast um, and earned over many, many decades. Um, yeah, recording is it can be something as simple as, you know, recording something into a onto a tape deck where you just push play and record and you play the guitar. And there are some great songs that have emerged that way. And that's from like the most basic level. And then you can take it all the way up into these huge grand productions where you're using like 48 tracks of sound and doubling down on that and manipulating tape. And now with, you know, the digital technologies, there's really the sky's the limit. It's so vast now that you can really easily cheat your way into a good sounding song. And actually a lot of, <laughs> a lot of really popular pop music is uh, to me, it's just a lot of clever computer work. It's almost like an AI is making the music now, which we're not that far away from. <laughs> One day that'll all be all you hear maybe, but hopefully it, it we can still keep the rock game strong. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I always worry about that, but I, I want to thank you, Brandon, so much. Uh, we delved into some really deep conversation. Uh, I'd like to continue, continue once again, another time sometime in the new year, once you have the record out. Uh, thank you so much. Happy holidays and um, wishing you all the best in your career. Thank you. Happy holidays to you, George. I appreciate your time, man. Take care.